and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Okay, so I'm just dumb enough to host a sports talk show and just smart enough to understand that I don't know enough about geopolitics or potential global conflicts. I believe it was the great Erica Badu who once said, a man who knows something knows he knows nothing. Please don't make me explain that none of what I just said means that we don't care. We definitely have the real people who always seem to pay the price for these kind of things that are going on in the world right now in our thoughts and prayers in Ukraine and beyond. And it's not just a token thoughts and prayers, but this is just not our specialty or our area of expertise. And while ignorant opinions seem to be all the rage these days, I try my best not to be that guy. I've also gone through enough of my own life to understand that sports is a wonderful distraction capable on the micro of changing our mood in a flash and on the macro of uniting, unlike many other things on planet Earth. On Tim and Friends and previously Tim and Sid, we have always taken our role as a distraction very seriously and we will keep it that way. It has never stopped us from expressing what we believe to be right or wrong or even tackling the toughest of conversations but around 99% of the time, it has come within the construct of sports. So that's what we will continue to do as these times, these tough times, just got tougher. We here on Tim and Friends will give you the news as it pertains to sports, but also continue to provide the distraction, the debate, and hopefully a laugh or two along the way because God knows we could all use a few more laughs these days. And with that in mind... I provide evidence with the help of that even the crappiest things, the crappiest things can help us smile. Dog agility composition, I present Lily and her runner. This is over the age of 12, so is 17. Handling well ahead of the dog, well ahead of the dog. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. If you don't go behind you, you can lose control. Whoops! Oh, no! Oh, and it was a good run, too. Well, we, a dog's got to do what a dog's got to do. What a show. I told you it was crappy. Probably got more views than anything else from the competition. So Disqualified, Jesse. Disqualified. Disqualified. You shame. cannot apparently poop on the course and finish the race. It's just so ironic that the dogs train so hard for that, and then <laughs> in the moment, you just, yeah. Hey, man, listen, I wouldn't want to weave through those cones either with a full stomach, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. A truly crappy end, but it's just the start for us. Kenny the Jet Smith, Anthony Stewart, and the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, Jay Woodcroft, who just so happens to start his hockey career at the Toronto Arrows House League at Fenside Arena in Toronto with... Yours truly. We went to grade school, high school together, and obviously he's gone on to bigger and better things than I. We'll talk to Jay a day after the Oilers' loss in Tampa and moments after they lead off. First things first with my guy Jesse Rubinoff. So give me the plan, Miro Chatan. Ooh. 
It's a good one. First things first. I got an eyebrow raise at a Sebi. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I'm not sure Sebi likes this too much as we begin in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens, who extended their win streak to four games. And he's a fan. <laughs> and he's a Let's fan. Be fair, yeah. With Martin St. Louis at the helm. Uh, as they beat the Sabres 4-0. The Jets, meanwhile, lost 3-2 to the Stars in overtime. Tough one. And the Oilers began the toughest road trip in hockey, which we talked about yesterday, losing 5-3 to the Lightning in Tampa. Now, Mike Smith allowed four goals on just 22 shots. So, Tim, let's start with Edmonton. When will we see the Oilers trade for a goaltender? Man, bleep if I know. Like, how long have I been saying this? Like, yeah. I have been saying that they need more help in that for about... Oh, better part of a decade? Like, what are we doing here? I was pretty clear on yesterday's show. I was yelling, I think. Yeah, well, it's rightfully so. They needed to give Jay Woodcroft and a pretty damn good team a fighting chance by getting them a goalie. Then Mike Smith allows two goals and five shots in the first period. And despite outplaying the defending cup champs, back-to-back, I might add, they're down 2-1 after one. Smith allows three goals on nine shots and has allowed eight goals on 29 shots over his last two starts. Like, you could argue the Oilers outplayed the defending cup champs and deserved the two points, but kids, life ain't fair. Mm -hmm. They have now given up the first goal in 36 of 51 games. It's the most in the NHL. And not good enough. Like, look at the teams around them. They're way better than everyone else on that list. In fact, all you got to do is look at team save percentage. That determines how good your goaltending is. The Oilers are fifth worst in the league. It's just not good enough. Imagine, Jesse, they were middle of the pack. Just middle of Imagine they just had average goaltending. Like, how much better would this team be? Yeah. Way better. And that's the difference right there. Like, that's the difference between the Oilers and maybe the Flames. Jacob Markstrom, right? That's a massive difference, and that signing looks bigger and bigger by the game. Yeah, I mean, it just underscores the importance of goaltending. Like, if we ever forgot how important goaltending is, like, say, like, the quarterback in football, the pitcher in baseball, the goalies in in hockey. How could we forget that? Like, just look at the Montreal Canadiens this year. They went to the cup final last year. Yeah, I, I think really this just this shows us once again something that we may have forgotten that goaltending is Has is Ken vi- critical. I don't think so. Like I said to you yesterday, I think that there must be something here where everybody around the league knows that this is a good hockey club with very bad goaltending, and therefore they are trying to use that as leverage f- to ask for the farm. Okay, but what? But like, it, I mean, it shouldn't matter. Why not just overpay at this point? Like, if it's that, like, the only thing that I can be think, we'll ask Jay Woodcroft about this later. Yeah. Like, the only thing that I could think of is Mike Smith's numbers last year, which were very good, are swaying this franchise into believing that he can get it back, even though he's been injury riddled and is 39 years old. But it's like, you have a very good roster. Okay, there are roster flaws, but every team has roster flaws. You have McDavid, you have Drysaddle. You have the ability to be a good hockey team, so that should be enough to make the moves. Like, what do you, What's the alternative here? You miss the playoffs again? Like, how many times are we going to walk down this road? No, we cannot confu- afford to do that. that. That's what confuses me about this. Like, if you're Ken Holland and you fired your head coach, you bring in another guy that the franchise thought enough of that when it looked like Tom McClellan was on the rocks... They sent Jay Woodcroft to Bakersfield to coach their 
AHL team to save him from what that was. And now you've got that guy back in the NHL and you're not going to give him a fighting chance. You're not going to give this team with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid in their prime a fighting chance. To me, it seems like it seems like like Ken Holland's job will be on the line if they don't make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, shouldn't it be? Because he's had every opportunity. So then, now why to make wouldn't you just go out and get a goal? Like, is it the belief or is it just the overpay? And if it's the overpay, man, you better start. Yes. I mean, th- this is the thing that's interesting to me. Like, he said, if we're at risk of missing the playoffs, then I- like, I'm not going to make a move. But if you look at the- this roster, like, doesn't this roster seem like it's good enough to make the playoffs if they have average goaltending? So if that's the only thing that you think is holding them back, like, you owe it to everybody in the organization. This- you owe it to these fans. Like, we're not, like, you and I aren't splitting any atoms here with these stats. No. Like, team save percentage is not, like... It just tells you how many stops you make in a game. And they're the fifth worst team in the National Hockey League. You get up to around, maybe that's the thought. Maybe the thought is we can get average goaltending from Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Can you, though? And we can be good. (laughs) And the problem is they haven't been even, like, the teams around them are just okay. The dregs. So they make the playoffs, okay? No, no offense, Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> they, they make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, say the playoffs start tomorrow. Uh, which of the three goalies that they've been running out there, who would you trust the most? Well, that's, that's my whole point. That's why you go out and get a goalie. That's why you go out and get a goalie. Because uh, the argument that I tried to make <laughs> what, yesterday... What, what you, you're asking me to pick from the guys nah, that I don't gr- think... Good job on putting the board up there at that r- very moment because there's no good options. No. But the argument I tried to make yesterday was you sort of know what, what Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith are as, like, commodities. Like, Mike Smith can't stay so healthy. do you really think they would go to Stuart Skinner I think they the have playoffs. to try. If they're, if they're, until they make a move, I think you have to give them a little bit of a leash Skinner. here. And, tr- and try it. Like, what is the alternative? Skinner. The goaltending last night was brutal, Tim. No, like, the like, second goal last yeah, night that's was why awful. I think, that's why I think that as a franchise, they think that Mike Smith just hasn't been healthy enough. The problem is, is that... Mike Smith can look good at times. Miko Kostinen can look good at times. And so far we've seen Skinner look good at times. That's not good enough in the National Hockey no. League. It's just it simply isn't good enough in the National Hockey League. And if I am Ken Holland, if I am that guy, and obviously he's not listening to me because I've been saying it for a long yeah. time, I just go out and overpay for a goalie. Yes, they need to do it. Uh, Cole Caulfield. Completely revitalized under Marty St. Louis. Does it again last night as yes. the Habs uh, win 4 nothing. You have a thought on, on how the Habs just continue to win games. Uh, some fans might not like it, but they're... Yeah, stop worrying, Sebi. You want Cole Caulfield to get his confidence back. You want him to take the next steps. Same with Suzuki. Uh, there are other guys that you might want to trade on this team that other teams right now would like to see play well. <clears throat> Petrie. And if you want to get out from under that contract, then they've got to play well for a little while, and you can still win the lottery. Uh, I like to see teams win games. I've never been a fan of tanking. I think it sets a terrible culture, and I think the Toronto Raptors are great proof of that. You can find gems by doing this thing called scouting, though I think Shane White's going to be really good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, hockey fans are united on that one. Uh, Tough loss for the Jets, obviously. Anthony Stewart coming up later in the show to talk... uh, more about that. Um, I, I, I've never said this. That Jets game may have been a must-win last night. They got 31 left. What did Elliot say during the interview yesterday? Been, did the, John? He brought up John Madden and said uh, 
doesn't like the the must-win games because what do you say about the next one? Yeah, I've been like saying that. that for years. I hate yeah. the term must-win. Yeah. But last night was a tough one. You get to a point where it's the just the hill, out too, yes, yeah. the hill will be too tough to overcome. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we, we touched on goaltending. Um, I want to get to the action tonight because okay. the Leafs are also struggling with goaltending. They've lost three in a row. They host the Minnesota Wild. While on the flip side, yes. you mentioned it, the Calgary Flames. Uh, they can set a franchise record if they extend their 10-game win streak to 11 games. Jacob Markstrom, a big part of that. They visit the Canucks, which you can see on Sportsnet. So let's begin with Calgary. Will they make it 11 straight tonight? All right, you're doing this back-to-back here. Uh, one of the things I never like saying is must win. Another thing I never like doing is guaranteed win night. Okay. However, oh. this is pretty damn close to guaranteed win night, Jacob Markstrom versus his former team. Oh. I think that it. Jacob Markstrom would like to set the franchise record of 11 straight wins, which they can do tonight against the Vancouver Canucks, against his former team team the question is for me what does it all mean like unlike the Oilers Calgary has gotten goaltending and because of that goaltending their goal differential is fourth best in the National Hockey League now watching the Toronto Maple Leafs over the last couple years I take goal differential with a grain of salt (laughs) but if you look at the leaders in the National Hockey League it's always the best teams in the league and this year the leaders are Panthers, Avalanche, Hurricanes, Flames, and Blues as we speak. And there's a bit of a jump between Calgary and the Blues. In fact, a 12-goal goal differential jump between. Yeah. Calgary looks like one of the best teams in the league. And if they can keep Jacob Marksham healthy, I believe they got a real shot to make a real run in the postseason. That said... We've seen some upsets over the last few years when we get into that postseason. But they are playing the type of hockey that you know wins when it matters most. If I would have told you at the beginning of the year that Jacob Markstrom is playing as well as he's playing, you know, we probably would have agreed on that. But it's the offense that really skews that goal differential number because I don't think people were expecting Goudreau to have the year that he's having, Matthew Kachuk to have the year he's having, obviously Elias Lindholm to have the year he's having. No. So that's what makes them... A true contender in this, doesn't it? They can do both. They can do both. They can win games in a variety of ways, which is why teams will focus on defense. Coaches like Daryl Sutter will focus on defense. But the truth is, when you play the best teams in the league, you've got to win in a variety of different ways. You've got to be able to come back with your offense. You've got to be able to shut down when you have a lead. You've got to be able to win tight games where you've got to get greasy, ugly goals. And you've got to wear down teams. And Calgary is built for almost every one of those. But I don't know, like, listen, they can get physical and they have some physical Mm -hmm. pieces. Will those physical pieces play enough when it matters most? Well, Kachuk will. Mm -hmm. We know that. They have every little tiny piece that you want. It'll just be a matter of if they can put it together when it matters most. Well, so far, the uh, or last little while, the Oilers and the Leafs have had to outscore their opponent in order to win games. Are you concerned well, I don't want to get into that whole road again, but are you concerned about the Leafs specifically well, the Leafs tonight? tonight? Yeah, the Leafs tonight face the, the third-leading scoring Everyone's team. Everyone's on edge here in the National So they've had some problems with their goaltending, and now here come the Minnesota Wild, yeah. third-best scoring team in the National Hockey League. Of course, this is another one of those where-are-they-at-now games. And if it, was, if it was going to be the Columbus Blue Jackets that made you worry, 
then this is an opportunity for the team and the defense to bounce back, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Yeah, at some point, you're going to have to nip this in the bud here, and there's no excuses. It's not a back-to-back or any of that. So I'm looking for a big, strong effort tonight from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, is yeah. it guaranteed win night for the Leafs? I don't think it's a guaranteed win night, but you'll ask me my level of concern when they lose <laughs> later tonight. <laughs> well, I've done that enough. <laughs> All right. I've done that enough. Yeah. Wow. The yeah. NBA returns from its all-star break with seven games tonight. The Phoenix Suns will fight for the number one seed in the West without Chris Paul, who will miss six to eight weeks while the Nets take on the Celtics. You can watch that on Sportsnet 1. Brooklyn still without Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons, while Kyrie Irving remains ineligible to play in home games for now. So it's not the full Nets roster by any means. Tim, I got you. Which team's stretch run is the more intriguing story, the Nets or the Suns? Uh, I am going to say the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of the Suns and where they're at. And listen, when they made the deal for Chris Paul, I sat in my basement and argued with Sid Sixero that this was going to take them to the next step. I am a fan of the Phoenix Suns. I hope Chris Paul comes back, even though that he played in the All-Star game and now is going to miss significant time. Proof. I hope that's proof that he'll be back this season and able to play significant minutes when it matters most for the Suns. The Nets are going to be intriguing as hell, but I'm sorry. If I'm reading stories from The Athletic that suggest that... And I quote, the vibe between James and the Lakers is comparable to early days of war, one source told The Athletic. Bill Platschke in the Los Angeles Times is talking about trading LeBron James. His tweet says, this sounds crazy, looks silly, feels like a hot take, but it's the cold truth. The Lakers must trade LeBron James. Kenny Smith has warned Mm. us in the past that a lot of this stuff about Los Angeles and the Lakers is just content because they're a big market team. Those two stories feel like it's beyond content. It feels like people are trying to scapegoat LeBron James or Rob Palenka. And whoever you believe it to be, the divorce will not be pretty. The divorce in Cleveland for LeBron James the first time around ended with the owner in Comic Sans ripping the player. Yeah, I remember that. The divorce in Miami was ugly with Pat Riley, who was said to be very, very mad that LeBron James was leaving. The second divorce in Cleveland was fine because he had won them a championship, but he bounced, left Kyrie, who ended up bouncing too, and the team has had to bounce back. It's always been ugly for LeBron James. And someone is being pinned with this Russell Westbrook didn't work. And the Lakers are trying to say it's LeBron James. And LeBron James is saying, like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, all this brawny talk, like his son, where he says, I'll go to whatever team. fascinated by this. Yeah? I'm fascinated by it. Because where where do teams take brawny now? He's a consensus second-round pick at best. And our team's going to reach because they want LeBron and Bronny together? Wow, LeBron will be older by the time Bronny gets there, though. If you're a small market team, it's still a huge draw. <laughs> right. It's a huge draw. If LeBron you're New Orleans, and yeah. yeah. New Orleans, yeah. exactly. You won't be yeah. charging $6 if, tickets anymore. It'll right. be a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, interesting that uh, LeBron, people say LeBron's the GM, but Bill Platschke thinks you can trade LeBron. Can't trade LeBron if LeBron's the GM. 
See what I did there? No, LeBron did the GM move yes. in the offseason. The, the crazy thing is that he took them from, like he always does, he took them from not making the playoffs to 2020 NBA champions. Part of this is because Anthony Davis is hurt, but it looks as though a divorce is imminent. Yes, it does not look good. Ninth in the West right now? Yeah. Um, I know you shifted the question from the Nets to the Lakers, but uh, back to the Nets for one second. Yeah, they're missing everybody. They're missing everybody, but Goran Dragic is now a member of the Nets, and he spoke at uh, Media Day yesterday. Did you happen to catch any of that clip? Yeah, there is some interesting stuff that he said about the Toronto Raptors. I'll allow uh, Raptor fans to dig into Goran Dragic uh, making his first appearance as a member of the Brooklyn Nets. (laughs) I mean, it's uh, it's been... uh you know, unique situation this year for me. Um, unfortunately, we, we couldn't get along in, in Toronto. They, they said they, they want to go young. And um, they didn't see, um, you know, they didn't see me um, to be part of that team. So in the end, um, they, were, they were really correct towards me. You know, um, we talked and they said, look, we're going to um, trade you and do what's best for your career and yeah we kind of uh, agreed that you know I go home to be with my family with my kids until everything resolves and it did so you know I don't have no hard feelings towards them you know uh, Bobby and Masai they uh, they were really um, you know correct towards me they, they told me what they're gonna do and they did so uh, you know I wish them all the best um, you know, we're going to play against them twice in the next week, so it's going to be interesting. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesse, how will we remember the Goran Dragic era? Nah, I don't think there's Toronto. much to remember. I will remember you. Here we go. Will you remember me? <laughs> don't let your love Pass you by. Weep not for the memories. Goran, weep not for the memories. I'm a professional. I've played this league for 14 years, so I love basketball. I'm going to do everything what it takes to, to be part of this team and to help young, young, young players to grow. I think so. that's the most important thing. Um, time for me in, in that career to help young players to, you know, to overcome all difficulties that they're going to have during the season and to be there for them. The most important thing just to be example for those young guys and to be a leader. Uh, that age well. So good. <laughs> Freezing cold takes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That's very good. All right, we're all in need of some good news these days, especially on days like today. So we'd like to thank Scotty Barnes for providing us with some good news of the day. The Raptors rookie has teamed up with the skills excuse me, the Skilled Trades College of Canada to launch the Scotty Barnes Scholarship, which will give black and indigenous students a chance to begin a career in the skilled trades. We need more tradespeople, especially in Toronto. Uh, The scholarship will be awarded to four students annually over the next three years and will cover full tuition as well as tools and textbooks. For more information on how to apply, you can visit Skilled Trades College. .ca. So to Scotty Barnes, already a part of the community, great from a rookie. Still to come, Kenny the Jet Smith helps us tee up the NBA's second half. Anthony Stewart ahead of a busy night in the NHL and after the break, Oilers head coach 
and my old acquaintance, my old school chum, Jay Woodcroft, stops by to discuss his new gig and what the Oilers are doing right now. Tim and friends, attempting to be the distraction. I love this game. I live this game. So let me ask you again. Do you love this game? For Jay Woodcroft, if you listen to him talk, he's always saying it's on the players. Listen, he's there to try and give them the best opportunity to be the best players they can be. Lacazette, Pepe, Alexander Lacazette! 95 minutes, he's won it! Pass is incomplete, no flag. I'm not over it. I'll never get over it. And every time I see it, it makes me just want to... Welcome back, kids. Busy night on the network, including two in the NHL. Caps and Rangers will follow us on Sportsnet, while Vancouver Canucks host the Flames. Calgary winners of 10 straight, looking for a franchise record 11th straight tonight. All right, my next guest has been mentioned a lot on the show as the brand new head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, but this isn't the first time we're going to meet. In fact, I met him at the rink and in, I believe, kindergarten at the age of around three or four years old. And while he's a a smidge younger than me, we went to grade school and high school together. Jay Woodcroft joins me now. Jay, what's going on? I'm doing good, Tim. Thanks for having me on your show. Hey, this is an absolute... I knew this was eventually going to happen. Frankly, it took a little too long to happen, okay? (laughs) If you say so, it sounds good to me. All right, now I I may be misremembering to quote Roger Clemens, but were we not both... Uh, we're the both the youngest of an all-boy family, and I'll get to that convo a little later on. But were we the youngest kids at the Arrows House League over at Fenside Arena? Like, I started at three turning four. Did you not start playing hockey at, like, three turning four? I think, I think so. <laughs> you and I uh, were the youngest, youngest players in, uh, at Fenside Arena and uh, the Toronto Arrows House League. Um, I certainly have a lot of funny old pictures of uh, us being teammates for teams like Blackhorn Steakhouse and such. <laughs> Shout out Blackhorn Steakhouse. That's an awesome bro. The only picture I have, and I may get to that later, is myself and your brother Todd. Uh, but starting early, early obviously helped your career a little bit more than it helped mine. Uh, I, met, I mentioned the all-boy family, though, Jay, because I wanted to talk a little bit about your brothers, a little bit about Todd. For those who don't know, Jay's older brothers, Todd and Craig, are both head coaches. Craig in the KHL in Minsk, and Todd is the head man at the University of Vermont after spending time in Winnipeg, among other spots, as an assistant coach. Having all of that in the family, never mind your dad and his brothers, how much has that helped prepare you for this role? Well, I think being the youngest of uh, three brothers, uh, you get dragged along to the rink a lot. And uh, I just know growing up, uh, for me, um, I wanted to do what my two older brothers were doing, which is to play a, a game that they loved. And, and one of the byproducts of going to all those games and watching your brothers compete at high levels was that I, I think that uh, that's where I became a student of the game and uh, really watched how how teams had success, watch how um, individuals had success, why certain things happened on uh, the ice surface. And uh, for me, uh, that experience of being the youngest of 
of three brothers. Like I said, it, it was a great experience for me. It also meant that I ended up being the goaltender in a lot of street hockey games because I was the youngest. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, you get shot between the pipes. Uh, do you guys have any time to like watch each other's games or get on calls to chat about coaching? Or now is it just kind of like a chirp or two on WhatsApp? Yeah, yeah, we, we talk over uh, text messages and, and the phone as well. Um, we spend uh, most of our time catching up in the summer times so when we all have a chance to take a, a deep breath and, and uh, decompress from our years. But uh, that's that's where most of our hockey talk occurs in the summer times. Nice. Uh, there were kind of two crazy sports families in the neighborhood, the McAuliffe's and the Woodcroft's. I absolutely love seeing you guys take it to such a high level. Uh, so you were an assistant with Todd McClellan in Edmonton, and then you're a head coach in Bakersfield for a couple of years. What was the thing that hit you most getting back into the room with the NHL team? Well, uh, it was interesting. It, the day was very hectic. So I uh, found out early in the morning, um, had to get my life together and organize tests across the border, all that kind of stuff, and really didn't get a chance to um, – think about the message that I wanted to send to the team uh, until I sat down on the plane and, uh, you know, tried to sit down and, and talk with uh, Dave Manson who came up with me to Edmonton and figure out a, a game plan. We wanted to be aggressively precise um, in, in our messaging. Um, we wanted to let our players know that we were excited to be there, uh, that we felt we had something to offer and, you know, um, it was an emotional time for our organization, but we wanted our players to know that they could handle whatever challenge was before them. And, uh, you know, I think that that sense of optimism came through. Uh, we knew that the team could do more and that it can go further. And that's what we're here to do is help this team um, move the needle. 5-0 and start helps a little bit. Ease the transition, but, but a tough stretch here on the road. Last night, interesting game. Uh, down 4-1 against the defending cup champs. Obviously, not the start you wanted, but what would you make of the response? Well, I, you know what, Tim? I'd actually say I, I liked our start. Uh, we went into the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions building. We held them to five shots in the first period. I thought we dictated a lot of the play. Uh, we found ourselves down, which that sometimes happens in the game of hockey. But I really liked our stick to our persistence, and um, I learned a lot about our team uh, you know, in that environment against a really good hockey club. I thought we were right there. We had a chance to tie the game late. We hit a post. Um, but there's lots to build off and lots to be optimistic uh, after that game last night. Yeah, the five shots on goal in the first period. Uh, a big talking point in Edmonton from before you even got there is the starts. And we were talking about it earlier in the show, giving up that first goal 36 out of 51 games so far this year. How do you change that? Well, I think uh, we talk a lot about mindset heading in, uh, into games and, and uh, controlling uh, certain variables. We talk a lot about um, trying to control or win the 10-minute game, so to speak, uh, to assert your game plan on the other teams. Um, in my experience here over the last 10 days or so, uh, we've had some good starts and we've had some starts that we've We'd like another crack at, but uh, last night's game, like I said, uh, we head into the two-time Stanley Cup champions building, and and we held them to five shots in the first period. I think 23 or 24 on the night. Um, you know, you do that more often than not, and you're playing the game the right way. I think over time, uh, end results uh, take care of themselves. 
I'm glad you just didn't say score first because that could have been a good answer. <laughs> but it would have been a shorter answer. Listen, Mike Smith was great last year. The goals against average 231, save percentage 923. And I understand that he hasn't had much luck in the health department this season. But how long can you guys afford to give him time to get up to speed? Well, I, I think uh, Mike's like everybody on our team. He has a desire to win. Um, he wants to help uh, the team as much as he can. Uh, as you mentioned, he, his injuries early in the year prevented him from playing a lot of games. Since uh, since the little break here, he's played a little bit more. Um, he's shown uh, some some top flight play. I think of the Islanders game and and how he helped us win the game in L.A. And, uh, you know, he's, he's somebody that um, I think is an important member of our team. I think um, him and Nico give us good options. And, um, you know, is there, is there you, you know, I think you're, you're referencing um, maybe a goal or two he might want to have had back over the last few games. Mm-hmm. What I look at as a, as a coach uh, is the things that led to those goals and, and how the team can be better and um, how our team can help teammates out in certain situations. And uh, if we can tighten a few things up with the amount of shots that we're giving up, I think uh, it's a recipe uh, going forward that will help us, as I said, move the needle. All right, this is a a tough roadie here, but do you feel like you can learn something about this group over the next little while going through what has turned into uh, almost murderer's row in Florida and Carolina? Yeah, I, I think we we answered a few questions last night about hanging with uh, some uh, one of the best teams in the National Hockey League this year, but it's the two-time uh, Stanley Cup champions. We we were able to come in and, and give a good account of ourselves in a in a close game. Obviously, we didn't get the result we wanted, um, but Tim, one of the things that we focused on here is is just trying to keep our picture small, uh, staying present. Trying to, trying to get the most out of each day. Um, and I think when you do that and you break things down uh, to the, the lowest common denominator for that day and you're trying to improve, um, I think that at, in the end, results take care of themselves. So, I, you know, I know you're referencing uh, the teams we're about to play on this road trip, yep. but for us, our, our focus and attention is on the Florida Panthers who we're going to play on Saturday afternoon. Take care of the days and the years take care of themselves, Mr. Woodcroft. Take care of the day. I, listen, before I let you go, uh, I was digging around the old cubbyhole, the old crawl space. And don't worry, nothing too embarrassing here, but I do have a Senator O'Connor 1993 yearbook that I found. And I've, uh, I've bookmarked one of these pages here, Mr. Woodcroft. And I'm going to say to you, it doesn't look that bad. I'll be honest with you. I'm gonna, I hope you can see it on this Zoom camera here, but maybe we can get the cameraman to zoom on in and have a look at what we're looking at here. But this is Jay Woodcroft, I believe, in grade 11, to me, fine broth of a lad. <laughs> right, well, the hair looks a lot, uh, a lot more appropriate for the early 90s, I can tell you that. But, uh, yeah, I'm proud to have uh, gone to Senator O'Connor. Lots of hockey people have come through that program. A lot of great people have come through that, that school. And like you, uh, I'm very proud of the neighborhood that I, I grew up in. Um, I think it helped shape not only myself and my family, but I know yours as well. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and the best part, Jay, is that you still got that hair 
that you had. <laughs> in gray. Yeah, I noticed you didn't show your, uh, your picture. In, in uh, maybe I'll get it by the end of the show. i got to find it first before we get there. But, uh, yeah, the, the hair looked a lot better for me, I'll tell you that. Hey, listen, from Chiefs hockey at Senator O'Connor uh, to this, it's been, been really impressive to watch your journey. Happy for you, happy for your family, and wishing you nothing but the best, JJ. Thanks very much, Tim. Appreciate it. There is Jay Woodcroft, head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, a lot of boys in the hood right now. Happy to see uh, that little chat between Annunciation and Senator O'Connor grads. All right. At the break, we focus in on the referees. That's right. The referees are next right here on Democrats. Woodcroft shamed me into it, so we found uh, the spot where Tim McAuliffe has been listed. This is my uh, my graduation in grade 12 in high school. Jesse, you ready for this one? Yeah, that's it. All right. Uh, I was just doing this for Woodcroft, but now I got uh, I got roped into it. Wow. Uh, here is, uh, Look here at is, that cut. Uh, Timothy McAuliffe in grade 12. That's a buzz cut. Um, and I played a couple sports, if you can't tell. Uh, VB and F-ball along with Chiefs hockey. VB at volleyball, basketball, football. Did I get it? Yeah, and I actually played Impressive. baseball too. Uh, so I thought that the B would save me one more character because I had to use all the characters to get to the bottom where I made my joke was ambition, AMB ambition, broadcaster, probable destination, Rogers game of the week with Frank Stanishi. Wow. Pretty damn close. So I guess you knew in grade 12 this is what you were going to be doing. Uh, I did uh, in grade 12, I, I realized uh, that when I wasn't a good enough athlete that I wanted to do something within right. the game, and I realized real early that I was a, not a good enough athlete. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it helped me realize what I wanted to do. You didn't bring those VHSs in. What? You didn't bring the VHSs of you playing uh, hockey. Oh, man. I think uh, Woodcroft might be on one or two of those there VHSs. He and was playing reason. AAA. So if you were playing AAA, you weren't allowed to play Big shot. high school hockey in a lot of cases. Um, so I wonder, I don't even know. I might have played with him two years of high school hockey, one year of high school hockey. Real well, big shot, that Jay Woodcroft. Eh? Yeah, well, we'll log on to, <laughs> log on to figureitout.com. He, is, uh, he was one of those guys, though, like you knew that something was going to come of him. Yeah. And like I said off the top of the interview, like it was a matter of time before that happened where we ended up talking on air. Very and, cool. And we're, we had talked about doing it as an AHL coach, uh, but I said, let's wait till you get to the NHL. Awesome. And there uh, it was. A couple news items for you. Okay. Uh, so Jeff Passan, I know this is kind of a sore spot for you at uh, Baseball Daily Updates, but I'm going to get through it real quick here, okay? Jeff Passan says, meetings are done for the day. Progress was minimal. There are four days left for MLB and the MLBPA to get a new labor deal or regular season games are going to be canceled. They've had four days to move, and there's been next to nothing, just incremental, and that's that. You know, Passan from time to time on the show, get oh, a little snarky. It tastes like a fart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's Jeff Passan at his best, in Did my opinion. everyone here? Oh, it tastes like a fart. Yeah. That's, that's what uh, those updates taste like to me. That's the state of baseball as a whole. And Sham Sharania, uh, 10-time NBA All-Star James Harden will make his Philadelphia 76ers debut on Friday wow. at Minnesota. So. so we're waiting on Simmons, but Harden will make his debut yeah. Friday uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers. Listen, uh, we've all been there, sitting on the couch with beer, maybe a soda pop in one hand, 
popcorn or the other, watching your favorite team play on TV, loving every minute of it until the officials make a bad call or no call at all. And just like that for you, that game is ruined. It can feel like it's no longer about how the players or coaches lost the game. It's about the refs. It's been a never-ending problem in the sports world, and it seems to have flooded our timelines with frustration almost every night. We here on Tim and Friends are right there with you. Anthony Cambinetti proves it. It's time we have a conversation about refs in sports. Okay, full disclosure here, I'm a Saints fan, so my relationship with refs is a little... I'm not over it. I'll never get over it. And every time I see it, it makes me just want to... Whether it's pass interference or balls and strikes or an obvious travel, when it's called wrong, it drives us fans crazy. That's not holding! Look, I don't want to be too harsh here. I recognize that it's a very, very tough job to do. Making judgment calls in a split second on a rule that can sometimes be vague, it's not easy. And some are able to even have fun with it. After reviewing the play, it was determined that the puck completely crossed the goal line. We have a goal. <laughs> He's got a flair for the dramatic. But for every West McCauley, there's a Joe West or Angel Hernandez. These guys should not be household names. Come on now. Yeah, now this is getting ridiculous. The big league umpire is, cannot miss a pitch like that. I come ready to play, do my job, I battle at the plate. We ask you to do your job as well. Joe West needs to do his job, and he didn't do it well. I'm not asking for every referee to be perfect, but like anyone in any job, there needs to be accountability when you screw up. That no call against my Saints a minute ago, Bill Vinovich led that crew of officials. Vinovich was rewarded the Super Bowl the very next year. I know, what the hell? Remember this? I want you to listen to the play. Listen for the whistle as Burrow is just about to throw. Well, certainly an erroneous whistle. What they should have done because it was an erroneous whistle was actually replay the down because it was a loose ball in flight. The whistle was clearly blown while the ball was in the air. The touchdown clearly shouldn't have counted. But according to the NFL senior VP of officiating, the referees did not feel that the whistle was blown before the ball was caught. Um, hello? Most certainly an erroneous whistle. It's the Wild West out here, and now with the exploding popularity of legalized sports betting, this is going to affect everybody. Look at Super Bowl 56. This wasn't called. Or this, but then this was. On third down with under two minutes left. In case you live under a rock, the Rams went on to win this Super Bowl. How many millions of dollars hung in the balance as this guy dictated how all that money changed hands? After the New Orleans no-call, many said, suck it up, it's part of the game. And that may be fair, but I think us fans deserve better. Because this could happen to your team next. Caminiti, uh, suck it up, it's part of the game. 
<laughs> what are you going to do? That, that, that's that. the only, as I watched the well done. Very well done. Yeah. As I watched it, all I could think of is, what are you going to do? Like, human beings have to be there. I'm sorry, I'm not robo-ump. I'm not robo-anything. Human beings have to be there, and they, they're not perfect. Yeah, I don't know like, why anybody would want to be a ref. Like, why would anyone want to be a ref? You pretty just, good pay. Uh, you're just going to get ripped apart regardless <laughs> of what you do. There's, uh, you are going to get ripped apart. I would say it's tougher to be a politician than a ref, but ref yeah, a little, is probably second. Yes, that's second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably second right now. You know now. what I thought about when I was watching that? When I saw that uh, Bengals hold, I was like, well, that could have swayed the entire props bet that we had and could have shifted everything, and I'd be able to dance off the top of every show. But I guess that uh, I love how you're happen. leaving out the Jalen Ramsey part of that. Oh yeah, that that's what too. I feel like happens when we're talking about referees. Is all it becomes is how it affected your team or your prop bet. And you're saying I'm selfish, aren't you? Yeah. No, I think human beings. Oh, okay. In general. Are, in general. Oh, that's a fact. Are remarkably selfish. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that's where I am. If it affects you, you're pissed off. If it doesn't affect you, you don't care. Yeah. And that's probably one of the main problems that we have. In 2022. Yes, I mean the T. Higgins one. Like I was like, oh no, great play, great play by T. Higgins. And then the hold, it's like the little, the hold decided the entire Super Bowl. How could that possibly happen? But yes, you're right. There's, oftentimes there's give and take, and when it affects you, you don't pay attention to the give and take. Six and one half dozen in the other. I feel like most of the times that's what it is. Yes. But then there are a few like the Saints. Sorry, Caminiti. Yeah, never get over that one. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, All right, still to come, Kenny the Jet Smith is going to join us as the NBA gets back underway. But after the break, going a little hockey here. That's right, kids. We'll head to Scotiabank Arena and Rogers Arena to set up tonight's Canadian action. Plus, Anthony Stewart from the NHL on Sportsnet Studios. Tim and Friends continues on this Thursday in the world of sports. Leafs Wild Flames looking for 11 straight against the Canucks. All coming up. I'm Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and Friends of the Show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. This is hour number two on Tim and Friends. We are here with you for the full hour on Sportsnet 360, but just 30 minutes as we get you to uh, on Sportsnet, as we get you to our friends on Hockey Central, who will be taking the reins after 30 minutes of yours truly. Now, Hockey Central will be followed by the Capitals and Rangers on Sportsnet, and obviously there is a lot of attention surrounding that game as Alexander Ovechkin and the Caps face Artemi Panarin and the Rangers. Now, given both their ties to Russia and vastly different relationships with Vladimir Putin as the events continue to unfold in Russia and their Ukraine. Now, Ovechkin chose not to meet with the media today, but is expected to in the coming days. And while his past would suggest that he stands with Putin, it is important to note that a lot of his family currently lives in Russia. And that adds a level of pressure that I'm not sure many of us here in North America truly understand. I'm sure he'd love to just be a hockey player right now, but sometimes that's just not possible. We'll wait and see what he has to say over the upcoming days and weeks. The conflict will no doubt have an effect on sports. In fact, today UEFA announced that the Champions League final will not be played in St. Petersburg, Russia in May as scheduled. Now, as I said off the top of the show, 
as these tough times get tougher, we have an incredible amount of empathy for the average folk who are drawn into this conflict through very little choice of their own in Ukraine and beyond. But we also understand our role in the playground of sports to be a distraction. So as such, here's what's happening this hour. Uh, in the NHL tonight, the Leafs are back on home ice as they host the Minnesota Wild. The Leafs have lost three straight games. The Wild currently third in the Central and have scored the third most goals in the NHL. All eyes in Leafland on Kyle Dubas and the rosters as trade deadline approaches with more on the Leafs. Let's go live to Scotiabank Arena and our own Sean McKenzie. What's going on, Sean? How are you, man? I'm doing great, Tim, and you mentioned the trade deadline. It's interesting because it was already likely going to be a busy trade deadline for the Maple Leafs. Lots of feelers out there for Kyle Dubas, and things took, I guess you could say, an unfortunate turn for the Maple Leafs with the Jake Muzzin injury. Unfortunate in the sense that he is a key piece of this team, and you just never want to see a guy get two concussions in a span of just over a month. For the Maple Leafs, though, how it affects the trade deadline is the news that he went on LTIR today, so that means they do have some money to play with. The other reason that they did it, according to Sheldon Keefe, is just not to put pressure on Jake Muzzin. It's no rush to get him back in the lineup. They feel this might be a long-term thing. They're going to check on him, but it's not one of those things where they're going to be saying day-to-day or checking on him constantly. So in his absence, it is going to be by committee on the blue line. That was the message that Sheldon Keefe said. Rasmus Sandin is a guy to watch because he's going to definitely move up the lineup, get some minutes. He's paired up with Ilya Labushkin tonight. Justin Hall is a scratch. Uh, lots of praise for the way Travis Dermott has played as of late. Sean, i got to ask you, I've asked Jesse a couple of times over the last little while, the numbers, well, at the start of the season, were in the top five in the National Hockey League in save percentage and goals against average. They have plummeted since early January to the bottom third of the league. What's the level of concern on the Leafs team defense? It, it depends who you ask. Uh, if you ask the fans, it is catastrophic. It is an epic level of concern, and rightfully so, because this is something that we've talked about year after year. And I think the biggest concern is the goaltending, number one, is a lot of people are pointing fingers at there. For the Maple Leafs, their concern, as you mentioned, is team defense. So the other thing to note is that it will be Peter Morazic between the pipes. So Sheldon Keefe not going right back to Jack Campbell. But goaltending defense, for the Leafs, they go hand in hand. Everyone now pointing fingers at the goaltending. But Sheldon Keefe said today, almost having his goaltenders back despite their poor efforts as of late saying they've hung them out to dry they need to be better so they feel that not so much on the goaltending it is on team defense as you mentioned but there is no secret that whether it's Peter Mrazek whether it's Jack Campbell those numbers specifically from Jack Campbell were right up at the top of the league which probably had a lot to do why those defensive numbers were at the top of the league so whether it's in front of Jack Campbell whether it's Jack Campbell or Peter Mrazek something has to be better if the Maple Leafs are going to kind of get out of this mini slide. I don't think it's full panic mode, but I understand why Leafs fans are quick to hit that panic button considering everything that uh, we've seen and everything they've gone through uh, as of late. Yes, as of late and since 1967. Morazic versus Mini. <laughs> Mackenzie and McAuliffe, appreciate you, buddy. Awesome, thank you. Uh, there is Sean McKenzie. Meanwhile, Flames and Canucks hooking up in Vancouver tonight. The Flames red hot with 10 straight wins. 
looking to set a franchise record while the Canucks are fighting to stay in the playoff race. You can see the Canucks broadcast nationally on Sportsnet Pacific, while the Flames broadcast is available nationally on Sportsnet West. And one with more on tonight's game. Let's send it to Dan Murphy in Vancouver. Murph. Tim, hello. As you know, the Flames arrive in Vancouver on an absolute heater. Ten consecutive wins, and the numbers during the streak more than impressive. They've outscored opponents 42-15. to 15. They've trailed just 6% of the minutes played. Lindholm has nine goals, eight of those at 5-on-5. Five five. Markstrom's made nine starts, a save percentage of 94.5. But let's be honest here. The Flames' underlying numbers have been fantastic all season long, second in the league in goals for percentage. Now, this streak started with a 1-0 overtime win over the Canucks back on January the 29th. And since things haven't been quite so rosy for the Canucks, seems like there's more talk about the deadline than about the playoffs. But the Canucks still have a pulse, albeit a faint one. They start the day five points back at the second wild card. A win tonight would make it four out of the last five and would also help them stop their division rivals from making it a franchise best 11 consecutive wins. Tim? Thank you, Dan. Other notable events to keep an eye on tonight. Pekka Rene will have his number 35 raised to the Raptors in Nashville. Ahead of the Stars and Predators, he's a franchise leader in basically everything a goaltender can lead you in. While history will be made in San Jose, Zidane Chara steps on the ice for the Isles. Game number 1,652 for Chara. That will be the most games ever played by an NHL defenseman. The 44-year-old will pass Chris Chelios for the mark and move into a tie for seventh on the all-time games played list. Maybe a, a deadline pickup as well? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we can ask our next guest joining us from the NHL on Sportsnet studios, uh, one of the, the brethren who carried the pen. It is Anthony Stewart. Oh, oh <laughs> no. He has gone from pens to old school Joe for buckets. Where the hell did you get that? Well, we see Kenny Reed's bragging about all the trophies <laughs> he has, but he has something. He doesn't have what I have here. And this is a classic hack and lube. I think he won the Stanley Cup in 89 with his helmet, too. It could be his for the low price of $1,099.99 here. So, Kenny, come a couple studios over if you want your bucket back. I got it right here. Uh, $1,100. You've stolen the bucket from him? Yep, absolutely. Cash. cash as, as you coach teams, you know you have to wear a helmet on the ice. Do you wear joke helmet on the ice with your kids or do you wear solid bucket that you wore in the no, NHL? I wear the solid bucket. I have the CCM or the Bauer right. bubble. I got the Eric Stahl Bauer bubble Bauer 6000 helmet. Nice. Uh, I think Kenny has an XL7 at home somewhere. I don't know if you remember the great Gazoo helmets that used to slide in and out there. Fantastic. That's dumb dumb. Dumb dumb. That's dumb dumb. The great Gazoo. Alright so we were just talking to Sean McKenzie about the Leafs D and the level of concern. Anthony Stewart, I know you've watched a lot of the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. I ask you, after that great start where Jack Campbell was being talked about in the Vesno Ward conversation and the Leafs to start this calendar year were top three in the league in goals against and save percentage, are you concerned 
where they've fallen to over the last little while. Well, there's some level of concern, but again, I think Jack Campbell's going to be the first one to admit that. He's one of those guys that wears his heart on his sleeve, and he says, hey, I have to be better. And you see his save percentage and uh, how he's been the last couple games here. He's to be the first to admit, hey, I have to be better for this Maple Leafs team. But I think now he has Mrazek now. I think Mrazek really has to step in and really create that competition. Right now, guys are sort of thinking, I'll come in, maybe play well. But the Toronto Maple Leafs need one of these two to step up and steal the crease. So I think right now for Campbell, is it the distraction of the contract? Is it the pressure of the situation? Remember, this is his first time going through this, but uh, everyone can agree he can be better. And for this Maple Leafs to go and win a round or two, which is the goal, they need somebody to step up and take this crease. I know this is a case-by-case basis, so your opinion is not uh, etched in stone, but you mentioned how Campbell wears his heart on his sleeve, and I see it, and I wonder if he does that a little bit too much. Yeah, I, I played with some goalies, some great goaltenders in, in Thomas Focoon and, and, you know, Roberto Luongo, Craig Anderson, and they were always even keeled. Win, lose, or draw. No high was too high and no low was too low. So I think that's one thing he can, he can learn. But, again, this is his first time going through it. But for me, with regards to evaluation of his game, what set him apart from uh, early on in the season when he was making the special time saves. It's not the yeah. quality of the save, it's the time of the save. Too many times he's letting in a goal in the first minute of a period, the last minute of a period. Those are cardinal sins in the National Hockey League. So, again, it could be the pressure of the situation, but right now there's a lot of pressure on everybody, including including the goaltending in Toronto. All right, so let me ask you, if you're Kyle Dubas, what are you looking for at this deadline? <sighs> well, I, I think, what is he going to do or what I think he should do? No, but, well, if you uh, were you the look guy. look at all the assets. If you were the, I'm giving you the keys to the Beamer, <laughs> uh, Stewie. Tell me if I you were... I think it get a little bit rougher on, on the bottom six, and I know Clifford, uh, you know, he got called up uh, the other day too, but no one really talks about all the assets that they gave away last year, four or five or six yeah. picks, and they got nothing in return. No one re-signed, and they got a first-round exit. So I think he's going to be a little bit more careful with his assets. But uh, why not get in on a JT Miller sweepstakes, a Claude Giroux? You cannot have too many goal scorers, but I think you need a little bit more sandpaper uh, on that third and fourth line that can contribute uh, more than five, six minutes a night. All right, that's a good game. Leafs and Wild is a good game. But so is the Canucks and the Flames. What's been most impressive to you about what Calgary's done over the last 10. Just the whole entire team stepping up and playing great hockey and, and just watching all the games. They're always surrounding the puck. They're always playing the game the right way. It's not just one guy going end-to-end. It's it's Dubé. It's Mashiapani who's got 24 goals. It's Kachuk. It's Goudreau. And I don't think enough has talked about Goudreau, how last year uh, people weren't really saying, hey, you know what, he's not playing that great hockey. And he turned around in one year, and he's got the best plus-minus, one of the best two-way players in the game. Kachuk is playing some great hockey as well. Lindholm is, is turning into a top-notch goal scorer. So all things are, are clicking, and I think enough, not enough credit's given to Sutter on what he's done with this group from last year being, okay, they're not too bad, to turning them into legitimate contenders. Markstrom as well, eight shutouts this year. He's got double uh, the second place in the National Hockey League. So everything's clicking, but he's getting the most out of his players, and I think that's what's most, most impressive Excuse me, uh, with the Flames. Sometimes I get upset at Jesse. Sometimes I get upset at the producers about talking about the playoffs in the middle of the season. because Playoffs? So- yeah, because so many things can change before you get to the playoffs. But the way this team is constructed, like, they look like they could be, if everything goes right, they look like they could be a team that could do some damage in the postseason, no? They do, and they, they have that desperation every single night. But I'm looking at players that have sort of developed under Sutton. Gabranson last year was with Ottawa. He was forgotten, thrown to the Wolves, and now he's having a decent sh- uh, season. Oliver Shillington stepping up. He's putting up some major points. So it's not just the skill of this team, it's the will and every 
single night uh, they're bringing it. And that's what's most impressive. And I always love the Sutter press conferences where he's just like, yeah, <laughs> I got somewhere to be right now. I'll just answer the question so I can get out of here. Maybe I got to go to the farm and do some farming. So <laughs> I just like the even keelness of Sutter uh, because every single day he's coming to the rink trying to get better. And that is the makings of a and, uh, you know, makings of a great coach of the National Hockey League. Oh, I love it. The facial expressions, too, when he gets there. I love, the mask. One of them right I there. love the mask. If they were handing out fines for the mask on the bench here. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good uh, and consistent. Okay, so let's flip over to the Canucks for a sec. We had, we had Bo Horvat on the show, and, and I asked him, listen, there's a ton of rumors swirling around this team. I mean, everyone on this team's name basically has come up at one time or another. And forget the focus for a second. We might get to who, you know, would be affected by that the most. But I asked him if he thought this team needed a run together. And he said he would really like to see what they were able to do. But if you're up against the cap and you're not in a playoff spot, there are some tough decisions that need to be made by management. Do you think this team has in the room right now enough to be a playoff team? They'd have to go on a serious run, and it's not necessarily about the, the points, how many points they're, they're far behind. It's how many teams that you have to, you know, pass. And there's four or five teams that you have to jump by. I think it's maybe a little bit too late. Can they go on a run and win seven, eight out of nine, ten games? Yeah, they can, but you're looking at teams that are fighting for it. You have the Oilers, you have the Ducks, you have all these other teams that are in the mix that are starting to play great hockey. But the one thing I think you're going to segue to is do they trade JT Miller? And I think the answer is no. This guy is a team, a guy you build your team around. He's got all the points. You know, he's moody, he shows up, puts his work, and he drags his team into the fight. And I think with the Vancouver Canucks, are they ready to hand the keys to the organization to Hughes and Pedersen? But JT Miller, I think, is a guy that you, you don't get rid of. I know you can get a lot of assets for him, but build the team around a player like that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people would be interested in JT Miller. And the interest around Brock Besser, to me, even being in the conversation for a trade is kind of a 2022 thing, where you look at the qualifying offer at seven and a half million and you think to yourself, who are the kids that have gotten paid over the last little while and how great an investment has that been? Like, I feel like Jim Rutherford is looking at Brock Besser and saying for the first time to a real good player and we're, we're splitting hairs of greatness here, but a real good player. Are you really worth the money that we're about to pay you? And that answer is a real tough one, isn't it? I say no, and I think I was on the show a couple months ago and before the Olympic rosters were set here, and we were talking about Besser being the conversation. I think Jesse laughed me off the show there, but again, he was in that conversation because he is clutch, and it's not necessarily about the numbers and the underlining numbers. He brings it most of the nights, and he scores some big goals at, uh, at, at key times too, but I think the question is, what direction are you going to go? Are you going to go old, mid, or young? And I think the, at the beginning, the, the, the solution was, you know what, we're going to run with Pedersen and Hughes and Hoaglanders and all these younger guys, but are they ready to be the guys? The National Hockey League is tough. It's tough for 21- and 22-year-old guys to be the guy and be consistent. So I think you can't just get rid of all the veteran guys, the guys that have been there the last couple of years, because the young guys might not be ready to carry the torch. Man, that's a tough thing to do in the NHL. Before I let you go, what do you, what do you make of this little run for the Montreal Canadiens over the last little while? Sebastian, yeah. <laughs> no, Sebastian Morin is upset because no. they're climbing out of the I basement. I love it. I love it because I just don't like all the naysayers with Marty St. Louis and coaching the minor hockey. It, it, hockey is hockey. But the one thing I can say about this Montreal Canadiens team, they're having fun. You're seeing the smiles on Suzuki's face. Caulfield, you saw Suzuki's goal yesterday on the, on the penalty shot. You know, you guys are last place team in the league. He's trying that. He's got the confidence. So they're getting their confidence, that swagger that they had when they went to the Stanley Cup final. So he's laying down 
on the foundation, seeing who fits, see who doesn't fit. But I could see the Montreal Canadiens jumping back into the mix next year because I had them pegged for playoffs this year, the playoffs. But again, Weber's gone. Uh, Carey Price is injured. Next year, I think they can be a little bit of a team that's retooling on the fly, as they say. I feel like we're finding out just how important. I, I didn't think, Jesse and I were talking about this. Like, I didn't think you needed to re- re- remind people how important goalies are. But you look at what's going on in Edmonton, and you look at what's going on in Montreal, and man, it's just pr- like Jacob Markstrom in Calgary? Yeah, they're first in the division. Uh, Mike Smith, Miko Koskinen, Stuart Skinner in Edmonton, and they're struggling to stay in a playoff spot. You need goaltending, and, and I check my Twitter mentions every time one of the analysts say Carey Price is the best goalie in the world. He is one of the best goalies in the world because what he means to that team. So I know right. there's the numbers, the spray charts, the anagri- anag- analytic graphs, the bar chat uh, charts, but when it comes down to just Willing your team to that next level, Carey Price is one of the best, and you need goaltending. You're seeing Tampa Bay Lightning. They would not be back-to-back Stanley Cup champs if they did not have Vasilevsky. That's a fact. Without a doubt. So Marty St. Louis making the jump from minor hockey to pro. I'm next, baby. Let's go. Uh, Who's that's that? what I'm talking about. <laughs> I want to the Orlando Solar Bears with uh, Sean Avery. Wanna... <laughs> yes. Yeah, send me yeah. there. Send me the cheese toast. <laughs> you, and, you and Avery. I'd love to have a camera in the room if it's you and Avery coaching the Orlando Solar Bears. That would be awesome. Uh, selfishly, I don't want to lose you, but hey. If you're looking for a new coach, Anthony Stewart might be your guy. Thanks, buddy. Call me Ken. (laughs) I want that helmet. Forget him. (laughs) Give me that bucket. Uh, There's Anthony Stewart from the NHL and Sportsnet Studios. Plenty of hockey coming your way on the network tonight, including that all-Canadian matchup between the Flames and the Canucks as Calgary looks for a franchise record 11th straight win. Back with more next. The NBA returns from its all-star break with seven games in the association tonight. Kenny the Jet Smith is going to join us in the final half hour of Tim and Friends, which you can see on Sportsnet 360, coming up in about six minutes' time. Hockey Central, but Jesse Rubinoff has got us covered for a little while. Uh, I do. Uh, the sporting world feels like more full when the NBA is back, when all sports are kind of going you, at the same you got time. you choice. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of feels choice. A little, yeah. You can flip back and forth. I know there's people who just love one sport. I am not that person. I love flipping. Would back be and forth. difficult to host a show of this nature if you just liked one sport. Yeah, it would be. It would be quite <laughs> difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard. Uh, so it's, uh, it's difficult as it is. You, show, you showed your graduate picture mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, and I thought we ran through it a little bit too quickly. Uh, we tweeted out, "Ambition broadcaster uh, nailed it, Tim McAuliffe." Uh, but people are, are have they have some questions yeah. about what's going on in the in the bio there. There we go. So Kelly writes, "Holy hell, there's a lot to unpack here. Where do we start?" Yeah. A uh, Brad, I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be difficult. Uh, apparently, he dated a girl named Jelly Tot. <laughs> Such do, that. Do you remember? Hold on. Are you too young to remember what Jelly Tots are? I have. I. It's. I mean, it's candy, right? Yeah. Like a like a jelly bean. It's a tiny little, like, sugared jelly bean. Do you remember Jelly oh. Tots at all, Sebi? Like, no, no, no. The sugar is an understatement. Like, you put that thing, like, that is, it melts into sugar. Yeah, on in your, your tongue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. They were, they were a hot candy in our cafeteria, yeah. and there was one of my friends, Brian Cook, who would always have Jelly Tots, and you would ask him, hey, can I have a jelly tot? And they're a tiny little, je- and you, you know, like in that 
usually someone mm -hmm. would shake a couple into your hand, and he would literally go into the bag, grab one jelly top. <laughs> just one. It. Just one. Just one. So that became one of my pet peeves, is getting <laughs> one jelly top. Were you it like had a, nothing to do with a girl. Were right? you a barterer? Uh, oh, without with, a doubt. Yeah, with kids who would bring better snacks. With better snacks, better meals, better lunches. You know, all the, that, uh, without a doubt. one that I always tried to get my hands on was the Dips chocolate bars. Oh, my son is a big dish. Oh, chocolate the chocolate-covered ones. They yeah. have to be specific because there's the granola and then there's yeah. the one with the chocolate cover. Dangerous. When yeah. I was in, like, grade three, I would just go around, like, who's got the dips? Yeah. <laughs> I my need son, it. My son in grade six now, yeah. I have to hide the dips right in the pantry or wherever the hell we end up hiding them because if I don't hide them, I'll see, like, empty wrappers <laughs> of chocolate-covered dips around yeah. the house. Not so good for you, so I've kind of <laughs> dialed it back a little bit. But yeah. uh, so uh, Chris says, Timmy, no grade 13. Did OAC not exist for your grad year? I'm confused. No, grad year was grade 12, and then OAC was on top of the grad year. So OAC was supposed to be in Ontario, a university preparatory year. So there was a grade 13. Uh, but your grad year was the year before. But you're in the same school for grade 13? Yeah, yeah. But some kids who were either smart or just went to college and went into a trade or didn't have to do oh, the so the smart kids left? There were some super smart kids that left, but most people went for grade 13. And you, you just, unfortunately, weren't a part Someone of that. Someone for grade 14. <laughs> weren't a part of that crew. good friend uh, of mine went for grade 15, <laughs> but I won't mention his name. It was victory lap number two. Uh, Van Wilder. Uh, Vinny wants to know, or he says, I think we need Mark Spears uh, to weigh in. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag the roast of. I mean, they're, they're very, those are, I love Sid, but those are very different pictures. Um, obviously. Sixeros is grade eight. Uh, that's grade 12. Different ages. Yeah, there's a different age. There's a different puberty, as you can see by Sid's face, uh, in grade eight yeah. and in grade 12. Like, the braces is, a, is an unfortunate throw into yeah. the mix there. I, too. I, have, the uh, I have heard from friends who went to St. Francis Xavier in Mississauga that the graduation picture in grade 12 might be as bad as the grade 8 picture. Can we get but it, he please? was so we kind. Have to get it. No, he was so kind and opening and open to the idea of us showing that grade eight picture. Like, mm -hmm. how many people would have the balls to go on national TV and show you that grade eight picture? I wouldn't. There's no chance no. I would have. No. And Sixero, in all of the things that I love and hate him for, that's one of the things <laughs> that I loved about him is that he just embraced Definitely. what it was. He came to regret giving us that picture because we do what we just did with it. But... Listen, he was very nice to allow us to do uh, I got one more. Okay. Uh, Jeff says, since Jay Woodcroft and Tim are longtime friends, Edmonton Oilers signs Tim McAuliffe to a one-game contract no, to play. No, we're professional. We're Goalie. Unbiased. No, there's no chance. And by the way, I would never play hockey goalie. <laughs> I'm just stupid enough to play soccer goalie. Oh, so you're calling me stupid all throughout my childhood then. <sighs> well, I mean... I know, look how I turned out. The shoe fits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those pucks are harder than a ball, you know what I'm saying? Oh, the heavy ones were bad. Um, There's a difference between heavy and... Did you get put in net because you were good at it, or was there another reason? No, it was too late. 
to be more one skate. Yeah, yeah. That's all. <laughs> all right. Time to set it to hockey schedule on sports. Then Carolyn Cameron, Justin Boy, Anthony Stewart, standing. I didn't want to skate. As for us, we'll be back on Sportsnet 360 with the legendary Kenny Smith next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back, the NBA. Back in full effect. And we got the Celtics and the Knicks coming your way on Sportsnet 1. These teams sandwiching the Raptors in the Eastern Conference standings, so some Raptor fans might want to watch this. Celtics nine-point favorites as the Nets are without KD, Kyrie, and Ben. Simmons, that is. We all because of the Bulls and the Hawks in Sportsnet now. Bulls enter the second half tied with the Heat atop the East standings. The Hawks in 10th and the final play-in spot at the moment. Jesse Rubinoff. Do you believe that that team is a legit contender in the Eastern? What are you laughing at? You're, already laughing. you're chuckling over there. You're giggling. It's the, it's the, Dave, it's Dave, the Jesse giggle. Dave I was going to talk in. about the Bulls. Yeah. No, Dave wrote in uh, just a comparison to your picture, and it got me. I just looked at it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not buzz. bad. Buzz from uh, Home buzz. Alone. Yeah, yeah, great character. Uh, I think he was a little heavier set than I was yeah. at the time. It's an I, unfair comparison. I, I did. But if it gets you to chuckle like that, I'm this good is, with it. It's impressive. Uh, well done. Thanks for uh, writing in, Dave. Um, the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. I think. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, without yeah. question. Yeah. I, I've, been, I've been pretty consistent with but this. But hold on. Hold on a second here. Let's, 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 let's weigh this down a little bit. Kenny the Jet Smith is going to join us hopefully in, in mere moments from now. Yeah. But – like, if you get the Bulls in a first-round series with the Bucks or the Celtics or, like, if they get the Cavs, I'm with you. But if the Bulls get any one of those other teams, including the Raptors, I think that's a tough draw for them. I don't know how I'm going to be betting on the, the NBA play the first-round series. Cause no, there's going to be some value there, though. Yeah, there will be, but, like, anyone can win. Like, I, we've been pretty consistent the whole season saying the East is – Pretty much up for grabs. Yes, there's a, a, an echelon of teams that are a little bit better than everybody else. But it, it's not that much. Like, we'll see what the Nets turn into now with Simmons and Kyrie and KD all together. But the Bulls are right up there. They have pieces that they didn't have before. They're a different team than they were previously. And DeMar's playing at a different level than he's probably ever played at. He's still only, like, seventh in MVP voting, uh, according to the odds, which I thought to be very... Well, Alvin Weird. Williams put it very well uh, when talking about DeMar DeRozan. Is that he, he might be top five in the league offensively, but defensively it's not that mm, high. Yeah. And, that, and that might be weighing on MVP voters right now yeah. uh, and placing DeMar DeRozan. And that, for me, is an interest. Like, the reason why DeMar DeRozan didn't last in Toronto was because of that. Because he wasn't as efficient as he is now offensively, mm -hmm. and he didn't really play the greatest defense in the league. Now, there are a lot of pieces on that Bulls team that are good. I just don't know that I trust them yet against what will be battle-tested Like, you've got the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champs, in the middle of the pack in the East. Like, there are going to be first and second round absolute minds for all of those teams at the top, including the Miami Heat. Like, it's not yeah. going to be easy for anyone. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, because they've never been there before, I believe they'll be talented. I believe that they will take some steps over the next year. I don't know if it'll be this year. But that might be the easiest draw. You've got the Raptors with a bunch of players that have won before. 
You've got the Nets being the Nets and having some of the best players on planet Earth. you got the defending champions in the Bucs. Like, it is going to be a landmine for any team in the East to get out of it. That is a, a very good point because you look at the, Bills, the Bulls roster, and so DeMar obviously made an Eastern Conference final with the Raptors, but had some struggles in the playoffs. But wasn't exactly known for his playoff performance. Anything but. Anything yeah. but. Uh, Vucevic hasn't been there before. Lonzo Ball hasn't been there before either. So that's a very valid point. A lot of inexperience there. All right. Uh, as if the world, or uh, the NBA world, needed any more juice, uh, the Nets and Ben Simmons mandates may be dropped in New York that would allow Kyrie to return. People are writing stories about the Lakers needing to trade LeBron James. I don't know what the hell's going on with New Orleans, man. The NBA's got more juice than a bad jerry curl right now. And here to help us sort through the soul glow is one of the absolute best in the business. It is Kenny Smith of the Inside the NBA on TNT crew. Uh, it looks like we've lost Kenny the Jets. No, spin. just like At that. At the end of a, of a complete intro, I have lost... Is he hearing us? All right. Kenny the Jet Smith joins us now. Uh, Kenny, I don't know if you heard the intro, but I went through how the NBA has more juice than a bad jerry curl right now. We've got all the things going on in Brooklyn. We've got the drama that continues to be L.A. Zion in New Orleans. Like, we are jumping right back into the mix as the NBA starts tonight. To you, what is the most intriguing story to – and I know you guys got the Brooklyn Nets tonight, but nobody's playing, yet even eighth in the Eastern Conference, a lot of people think they're the favorites to win the NBA title. Like, it, it's crazy right now. Yeah, that's the most intriguing story, Boston, yeah. uh, Brooklyn and, and uh, Philadelphia, the two teams who made it, because those two guys are going to eventually play. So yeah. when they start playing, it changes the could change the dynamic and the, the whole, you know – power shift in the Eastern Conference. Both of those guys have the ability to do that. Uh, James probably quicker because he's actually been playing, uh, you know, most of the season where, you know, Ben hasn't played in 10 months, so it's kind of difficult to read what he'll do. But that's the storyline. Everything else is kind of like soap opera stuff. Zion and all that other stuff. That's soap opera, you know, uh, hearsay. But this is actuality and factuality. Yeah. So. You're not going uh, Victor I, I, Newman. I you're not that. down with the soap operas. You're not down with the Young and the Restless. No, you know, back in the day, I used to watch all my children, but <laughs> I, I have I have my own children now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, understood. All right, so let's talk about the Nets and Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving because I'll never forget when LeBron, Chris Bosh, uh, they got together with that group in uh, in Miami. And everyone just assumed that they'd be walking to titles. It took a little while for them to mesh. And that's always stuck in the back of my head or stuck in the back of my head as to how hard it is, even for superstars. <clears throat> I'm getting a little verklempt here, Kenny. <laughs> oh, no, I'm getting, you're getting so sentimental. Man. Yeah, I'm getting, okay. <clears throat> you know, Chris Bosh leaving Toronto hurt us. No, but it took them a while to get going. Like, how hard is it going to be to get Ben Simmons up to where Steve Nash and that Brooklyn Nets wants him to be? Well, I think the difference is, you you know, you were dealing with three guys who were accustomed to being the one number one offensive option, where Ben Simmons is never, I don't think, thought of as the number one offensive option. He's more of a facilitator and a playmaker instead of a play finisher on the perimeter. So I think that's where LeBron and, and D-Wade especially had to say, all right, how do we play together and still be aggressive? Kyrie Irving and, 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 and 
Kevin Durant, I have no problem being aggressive. That's not one of the things. It's actually sometimes they're too aggressive. So, and Ben Simmons, on the other hand, is not aggressive enough. Right. So I don't think that they will have the same problem that, you know, or issue initially. I think the biggest issue is that the guy hasn't played. And the, and the thing that made him great was that he's got to be in great physical shape because he's a defender mm-hmm. and he's a rebounder and he's a, and he's a pace setter. He's not in great physical shape. That, to me, is the biggest thing that will hold him back early on. All right, Kenny, we both know Kyrie likes the ball in his hand. KD likes the ball in his hand. Do you think we see Ben Simmons because he's been off for this long and because I know he's been reticent to go to power forward or something of the like in the past, but do you think we see him actually kind of play in a big man's role on this Brooklyn team a little bit? No, I think it'd be more like Draymond Green. And when 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 um, Kevin Durant was up in um, in Golden State with Steph Curry, two guys who handled the ball a lot, he Draymond Green, once he gets that rebound, he does not look for anyone. And I think Ben Simmons will be the same way. And the same way Draymond was, he's a ball mover on the off, on the on the perimeter, and he's a slasher to the rim, diver, uh, other times. So he'll look very much like Draymond Green looked in Golden State. All right, I know we've done this. Are you concerned about the Lakers in the past? And we've kind of poo-pooed all over it. But I listen, I, I read this earlier today. The vibe between Lakers and James is comparable to the early days of war, one source told The Athletic. Bill Platchkey in the L.A. Times, who many people know from around the horn fame, is saying the Lakers must trade LeBron. Like, just what, what I know it's a soap opera. I know. What do you make of all this? Well, you know, it's Los Angeles. It's a movie town. Movie <laughs> scripts are written there. Fictitious lives are written there. Uh, so this is just part of it. Okay. Uh, they, the, the, the biggest thing that's happened to the Lakers is LeBron James has missed 17, I think, 17 games. Uh, Anthony Davis is going to exceed that easily. Uh, and those two guys are dependent on to carry the team. And, um, you know, Russell Westbrook is the third option who's asked now to be a first option at time. Uh, And I don't think at this stage of his career, that's what he wanted to be or could be. Uh, I thought he'd be a great piece uh, that could get you downhill, get some easy transition baskets, and average anywhere between 17 to 18 points a game. But now he's being asked, no, you got to be Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. Right. No, I don't think that's, that's what he could be. So for me, it's more about the... The injuries that has prohibited them to being the team that we they possibly could have been. Do you think they'll be the same team next year? No, no. I, I, it's, I think it's impossible to be the same team. And, and, and they realize that they missed some of the younger guys on the perimeter with size. Kyle Kuzma uh, is big for his position. Catavio uh, Caldwell Pope was big for his position. Uh, I think they see that they missed those guys. Uh, they even missed uh, Schroeder. You know, a guy who could shoot from the perimeter as handling the ball, not just a spot shooter, maybe like Malik Monk. So they 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 show they show what they missed, uh, and maybe made a couple of strategic errors uh, more than a wholesale error. Uh, Phoenix Suns, top of that Western Conference right now by a significant margin. Will they be there? Does it matter if they are there? 
without Chris Paul over the next little while? Well, they, uh, they I don't think they want to slip past three. Right. Um, I, I think that that will be, you know, Chris Paul, obviously, the way he plays and keeps the things in order, he takes a lot of pressure off of Devin Booker because then Devin Booker can be the best finisher in the Western Conference, possibly. He could be a finisher. But now you ask him to be a playmaker and a finisher. Defenses can, can set a little bit differently for him. Uh, and it makes takes a lot of – it puts a little bit more pressure on him. And then the pace of the game doesn't – you know, the guys like Cam Johnson and, and um, the rest of the wings, they don't get the same looks uh, that they will – won't they, they've been getting with Chris Paul. So that's a huge – Huge loss. Luckily that the midway point isn't the midway point anymore. <laughs> like, luckily there's only 22 games left. Uh, you know, luckily that it's not, though this is 40 games left and he's going to miss 20. Right. Were you surprised that he was playing in the All-Star game? I'm very surprised <laughs> that he even went out there. Right. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know the significance. I thought at first maybe he was trying to break an assist record and get an assist. But just to show up, to do what he did, I would have been if I was the Phoenix Suns management. I would have made him miss his flight. <laughs> they got there late. Yeah. Uh, all right. Before we let you go, I've, I've been knowing that you've been big time for a long time. But what, what's this? I'm hearing about an Adam Sandler movie. Oh, I didn't tell you. What's going on here, Kenny the Jet Smith? Yeah, I'm in a new movie coming out called Hustle, mm-hmm. and um, I play Adam's best friend in the movie. Uh, I never acted before. He called me up and was like, hey, I got a part for you. And I'm thinking he's calling me to be like a cameo or be myself. Yeah. He's like, yeah, a lot of basketball players are in it. So I'm reading the script when he sends it. I call him back. I said, bro, I don't see my name anywhere in here. Yeah. He's like, no, you're Leon. <laughs> I'm like, wait, Leon's got 32 pages of dialogue. <laughs> like, wait a minute, I've never acted. So I went to acting coaches. I've been around and doing everything. So prevalent part in a movie for the first time it's a bucket list with adam sandler man it's it's a it's not a comedy it's a dramedy it has some com- comedic moments but right. it's a dramedy and uh but it's a lot of fun there's some big names in this movie outside of adam sandler and kenny the jets yeah like Smith. kenny smith yeah <laughs> i said outside of kenny the jets so was it a fun like was it everything that you i bucket list is it everything that you thought it would be more yeah because one uh, you know, I took two days to decide because I knew, I know who he is in terms right. of, not in terms of a person, but in terms of what he is in terms of acting. Right. And I wanted to be able to say, I'm going to take this as serious as I take TNT. I took right. the NBA. I didn't want to just go in there with 32 pages of dialogue and just be not, not serious about it. So it took two days, but he, it was more than I ever expected. A uh, lot more fun, a lot more vulnerable. Because you learn yeah. things about yourself when you're acting out someone else, you know. Like, like you now you know where emotions come from, kind of. Like, <laughs> you know when you look. Oh, that's why I'm happy. Oh, that's why I'm sad. You learn a little bit about. You're like, yeah, that's the reason. So it it was a lot of fun. I get to play this big time agent, former basketball player. So a lot of fun. Nice. So so more Kenny Smith acting. Is that what we're gonna see in the next little while? You know, if the, uh, as uh, Bob. As uh, Bob Barker and Drew, Drew Carey say, if the price is right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Kenny, I always appreciate you, my dude. Thank you. Uh, there's Kenny the Jet Smith, uh, NBA player, yeah. analyst, yeah. and actor. It's a phenomenal actor. I, I, did, I just saw the trailer, 
And I was like, oh, there's Kenny's in a movie. I didn't know it was 32 pages of dialogue. Like, yeah. he's, he's in this movie. It seems like he's a star. Yeah. <laughs> he's a star in the movie. Man can do it all. Very impressive. I uh, can't wait. Time for one last break. We'll get the last call with Jesse Rubinoff, some soccer, some tennis talk. Next, it's Last Call. It's Tim and Friends. Grab a pint or two. We need them these days. Time now for Last Call here on Tim and Friends as we take you to 7 o'clock Eastern time. Jesse Rubinoff grabs the reins, as he always does. We have a sneak peek of uh, Tim McAuliffe as a member of the Edmonton Oilers on a one-day contract as their goaltender. There you go. Would I, would I not take my glasses off? <laughs> he needs to be able to see. <laughs> yeah, but to, to put contacts in. Are you a contact lens wearer? Yes, everywhere else but here I am a contact <laughs> really? lens wearer. Everywhere else. Yeah, like wear sport goggles. Go Kurt Randall. Oh, that's such yes. a good That's very well done. That'd be a very good look. Um, okay, thought you'd uh, enjoy that one. So, Why is the uh, general manager of the Vancouver Canucks playing goal for the Edmonton Oilers? Why you're the GM? Why is the GM of the Vancouver Canucks playing goal? Oh, got the it. Edmonton got Oilers? it. Yeah, I'll be. Yeah. That's good. Nope, not that good. No, okay. no, I got Let's it. Move on. I got it. That's just that's on me. No, that's on, on me. No, no. That's just <laughs> slow right. to connect the dots. There. That's it. on me. All right. Still the clap uh, over here. Okay. In tennis last weekend, Felix Oje Aliassim in the semis at the Open 13 tournament, and check out the sportsmanship here, telling his opponent to challenge a call which the line judge deemed was out of bounds, but actually caught the line. And after review, the call was overturned against the Canadian. Felix won the match in straight sets, eventually losing to Andre Rublev in the finals. Tim, is this the most Canadian thing tennis has ever seen? And there's a lot of guys that do this every once in a while. Uh, I think it's wonderful sportsmanship, and people should be proud that Felix is one of the guys that did it. But mm -hmm. it does happen a little bit in tennis where someone will notice something and say, hey, hey challenge that. Because there is still... Uh, a Despite what you saw from Alexander Zverev over the weekend, uh, there is still some, or during the week, there is still some gentlemanly play in the sport of tennis. Yeah. Uh, some uh, high-level kind of stuff that you see in the sport of tennis, and that's one of those things. Every once in a while, not a lot, but every once in a while you'll see it. I'm glad uh, FAA is one of those dudes. Yeah, got a lot of love for it, and rightfully oh, so. Oh, without rightfully a doubt, so. yeah. Uh, okay, checking in on the... But I just think it's a tennis thing. Like, there's people out there that watch tennis a little bit that are going, come on, that happens. Yeah, right. Okay. It is supposed to be, like, a... Yeah, a I was going to call it gentlemanly yeah. again, but then I realize I'm being sexist with that term, so <laughs> yeah. I might as well say... That's okay. Yeah, I don't, can't think of another... Yeah, I was th I went yeah. the country High club. level. I went with... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> checking in on the Cargo Gap Champions League, where CF Montreal took care of... Santos Laguna on home soil last night with an impressive 3-0 victory. They advanced to the Someone quarterfinals. Someone can give us a better word on Twitter for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Write us uh, at Tim and Friends. While Forge FC down 1-0 on aggregate are in Mexico so nice City tonight to take on Cruz yes. Azul for the second leg in the round of 16. It's been an amazing year for Canada's soccer, obviously. Do you think that'll provide a boost for the MLS and CPL teams as those seasons get set to kick off, Timmy? I don't know what I think Montreal is a better team than we've seen in the last few years. I think that they are on they are trending the right way. And uh, what they did yesterday was proof of that. 
I mean, that was a pretty dominant win. Those were all nice goals in a 3-0 victory, and they got a little bit from everyone to get that victory. Forge FC is a great example of how Canadians saw it. I mean, when, when TFC made a run in the CONCACAF Champions League, mm-hmm. it was a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone, oh, we're beating Mexican teams. We're, we're beating Liga MX teams now with MLS sides. This is a big deal. Now, a sec, you could call it the second division in Canada. It's the CPL is doing the exact same thing. This is proof about how the depth of Canadian soccer is getting better and better and better. And if they were, I don't know, like, listen, losing the first leg at home is going to make it tough for Forge now going to Cruz Azul. But if they were ever to come out with a result, whatever they've done to this point is crazy. But if they came out with a result tonight, man, that would be jaw-dropping. I think we're so spoiled with soccer in this country all of a sudden. Like, I just expect them to win all the time. Doesn't matter which team. As Doesn't long as you're associated with Canada, you should <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been take a heater. the pitch. You yeah. win. Just <laughs> same, with, same with the women's team in England against Spain. Like, I yeah. kind of expected that even though the reigning Ballon d'Or winners on the other side. Like, I'm expecting Canada totally. to win because it's been such a heater for Canadians. Yeah. Every time over the last, like, two years, it feels like, oh, this is the biggest game. Let's see if they can do it. And they've done it. And it's yeah. been fun to watch. So we'll see uh, if uh, Forge FC can do it tonight. Forge FC. Uh, March Madness, just a few weeks away. People don't even... We're talking That's about this. That's People don't even up. know what Forge FC is. Sorry, I'm going well, back. No, that's okay. Um, you don't think they know what Forge FC is? Yeah, but you have the people watching right now don't know what Forge FC okay. is. Uh, maybe we'll do a poll. Right. Uh, okay. Oh, this for, crazy game. This is, yeah, yeah, Providence and Xavier. First time oh, in 12 up. years, a Big East game went to triple overtime, and Providence came out on top 99-92, and uh, someone lost a $300,000, $363,000 bet on this. It was a parlay of ridiculous proportions that finished with... Xavier and Providence, okay? So think if you are a dude watching this game at home with 300 and something thousand riding on the game and it goes to triple overtime. Nope. (laughs) I mean, that's why people bet on sports, like to get the opportunity to do that. that bet. Like if you go through, like I think it was a crazy parlay. If you go through a crazy parlay and you end up with one game, how much would you hedge on that? $363,000 if you win. How much At least you 100K. You guarantee yourself 100K? Yes. Yeah. So then, with, yeah. It would be like 100K, and I can't do the math, but 250. Well, whatever. <laughs> if we ever have a math competition with Ken Reed, I'm going to be in big trouble. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. All right. That does it for us. Here's what you can see on the network tonight. Caps and Rangers about to start on Sportsnet. Flames looking for their 11th straight in Vancouver. A couple basketball games, both on Sportsnet now. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, everybody. What's the math?